1: With me today are HealthLink Advisors, Ms. Tina Burbine, VP of Care Innovation and Enterprise Analytics, and Ms. Yolanda Smith, Healthcare's Chief Clinical Officer, to discuss CMS's Hospital Without Walls, now termed Acute Hospital Care at Home Waiver Program, and its potential future. Tina and Yolanda, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having
2: us. We're big fans, and we're excited to be talking about Hospital at Home with you today.
1: All right. Thank you very much. Uh, bios of both, uh, of course, are posted on the podcast website. On background, Johns Hopkins is generally cited as the first to pilot hospital-at-home care over 20 years ago. The VA has provided hospital-at-home services for several years and overseas. hospital home care is provided in Australia, Canada, Israel, the UK, and elsewhere. HHS or CMS first tested the model in 2014 when it awarded Mount Sinai a grant to test the model. However, it failed to meet statutory criteria for expansion. Due to the COVID pandemic, CMS, under its waiver authority in 2020, allowed hospitals to provide alternative sites of care, including homes, and thus CMS started paying under the Medicare program and Medicaid for hospital-at-home care. Per research published by CMS this past December, there are 186 hospitals across 33 states that have implemented, again, formerly termed acute hospital care at home. The waiver program, however, lasts only as long as the current public health emergency that the administration two days ago extended for another 90 days. While hospital-at-home research findings have been on balance favorable, for example, research published in 18 in JAMA found hospital home patients had comparatively lower rates of readmissions, ED visits, and skilled nursing facility admissions and were more likely to rate their hospital care highly research findings are however compromised by selection bias with me again to discuss the acute hospital care at home excuse me program is again miss tina burbine and miss yolanda smith so with that for background or as introduction let's go right into um, if you could provide some uh, further details about how this uh, model or program works so let me start with some basics and we'll work through these quickly at-home means exactly what? I mean, it, it's at-home care, but it can mean other uh, sites of care. Is that correct? Yes, this is uh, Yolanda speaking. That is correct. So hospital at-home simply means
0: that a patient that would be normally admitted to an acute care hospital hospital will now have that care provided in their home with the same level of care that they would have been receiving if they were in the brick and mortar of that facility.
1: Okay, thank you. Um, that's helpful. Um, I, I will say, and I'll just add some, uh, a detail, for uh, under the waiver for a person to um, be treated under this program, it's either through an ED visit or they're already uh, an inpatient um, in an acute uh, hospital facility. So that's, uh, that's what patients can participate. Let me ask you, uh, Yolanda, what are the typical conditions? And I know um, there are... Private insurance programs that may offer care for other primary conditions, but what are generally the primary conditions under which these patients can participate in the program?
0: Typically, when uh, hospitals are starting out with their program, they will select uh, COPD, congestive heart failure, uh, community-acquired pneumonia, cellulitis. They would select you know, patients that, although they would be considered eligible for an admission, the acuity level would not be so high as that they would be able to be monitored carefully in their home setting. So typically, they will create what's called the inclusion criteria. They they would say, you know, for this particular patient, um, say for cellulitis, that patient may need intravenous uh, antibiotics. If somebody needed further type of treatment or testing, they would prefer that patient to be admitted into their hospital brick and mortar so the exclusion criteria will wind up being the inclusion criteria for that patient to be physically in their hospital setting and not in their home setting.
1: Okay, thank you again. Some of these other conditions, uh, UTIs, uh, uh, DVT, um, uh, and there are there are some others, but that's that's a good um, uh, understanding. So thank you for that. My other question, maybe my last, is so obviously the hospital at home program has to. Uh, be able to deliver services that they would otherwise be delivering, as you said, in bricks and mortar in the acute hospital setting. So what are some of these um, uh, typically uh, that they're required uh, to provide or have the capacity to deliver? Correct, yes. So
0: pharmacy, so for instance, as opposed to a patient has cellulitis or pneumonia and that patient needed uh, intravenous uh, antibiotics, that patient would be able to receive that in their home setting. They'd have to be able to receive any diagnostics or labs, so if they need a blood work drawn, they would, have a, um, they would source with a vendor that would be able to do that in their home. They could also do imaging, uh, chest portable chest X-rays, EKGs, uh, being able to provide transportation if needed, and uh, meal services for those uh, patients. And any durable uh, medical equipment that would be needed, say that's opposed for COPD, the patient needed oxygen, they would have to arrange for oxygen to be delivered to the patient's home prior to them um, leaving the emergency room and being admitted uh, to Hustle at Home.
1: Okay. They and could I- also have PTOT. Oh, sorry. Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead.
0: PTOT. They could also have physical therapy, PTOT... Um, speech therapy, social workers, they could also be um, additional
1: services that the patient re-
0: could receive in their home.
1: Okay, thank you again. Just to throw out a few other details regarding payments. So payments are the same under the Medicare programs if the patient was in an acute uh, facility. Uh, billing requirements, cost reporting are the same. So there, there are numerous other details, but I think this gives a general uh, sense or overview. I, uh, relative to other participants of the Medicare, so Medicare Advantage, Beneficiaries can participate if the, if the MA plan is in, in agreement. Uh, and then some commercial plans pairs get into this as well. And maybe we'll get into that, uh, Humana, I know, amongst others. But let's go to um, uh, participation. I know that participation, considering there are, are approximately 6,000 hospitals in the U.S., uh, what's your sense relative to uh, participation today? And I think 186 hospitals, I know in the intro, is uh, now uh, larger in number. Uh, so maybe for Tina, what's, what's your understanding of participation rates, and if you can explain whether those rates are appropriate or whether there could be more participants, and I will say as leading, uh, I have read that uh, in the literature that clinicians, physicians tend to be hesitant about this. Uh, obviously, it's a change uh, for them that they'd have to adjust.
2: Yeah, thanks so much, David. You know, we've seen every month since CMS came out with this new policy and reimbursement opportunity, more and more hospitals clamoring to receive their waiver approval. We continue to see an increase as uh, health systems continue to become engaged in providing this type of care, and a lot of planning effort currently focused on how to scale those programs Um, A lot of times systems will receive the CMS reimbursement, be approved for that, and then quickly move into launching a pilot so that they can take the data from that pilot and reassure the organization that this is not only a worthwhile strategic investment to continue doing, but also to help them identify, you know, what are other condition types that they can treat at home as well. Because like Yolanda just mentioned, Typically, a pilot will start with a few condition types, and then in order to grow and scale a program, a health system will then decide, all right, what are the next three to six condition types we can treat based on the improved outcomes and amazing patient experiences um, from the data derived from from the initial pilot.
1: Okay, thank you. I'll just note this, and I'll post a link to this, but I'll get it out of the way and and note, I'm sure you're very familiar, in January... Uh, this past year, uh, CMS staff uh, wrote an overview in Nijim, New England Journal of Medicine, Catalyst. It's a commentary specifically, Acute Hospital Care at Home, the CMS Waiver Experience, uh, 13-odd pages. Uh, I thought it was, provides a very good overview, and again, I'll provide a link uh, to that document. The, the one issue we need to get into, and so let's get at it, and that is, um, this certainly, and you would intuit this, this certainly requires IT, Uh, broadband, um, and in fact, under the um, participation requirements, uh, remote patient monitoring uh, is required either continuous or intermittent. And this presents some challenges, obviously, when you get into uh, non-urban or rural areas uh, to the extent that homes have IT capacity. But maybe for you, Tina, if you want to address this issue.
2: Sure. Sure. So there's absolutely, we call it an IT enablement component uh, to providing hospital at home. And, you know, what's so fascinating to me and exciting for us in the U.S. is that all of the major EHR vendors now do provide some kind of form of a workflow package to support a hospital at home program. And those workflows are actually built on an inpatient bed setting because you want to capture the same type of patient encounter documentation just as you would if you were uh, at their bedside for this in-home type of care. Now, with that technology that's continuing to mature by all of our EHRs, there are some things that teams very quickly um, need to decide, which is how are they going to handle their risk stratification for ensuring that they're identifying the right type of patients? qualify for this? How are they going to uh, dispense and route their medications for those pharmacy services that need to happen in the home, which is what Yolanda was alluding to earlier? And how are we going to make sure that we keep our hands on the data inside the care plan for these patients for things that they need, like imaging and labs and outpatient orders, et cetera? So um, being able to start by identifying your focused condition types, um, that a pilot will contain or, or a program and then very quickly working through, you know, leveraging the ancillary service vendor relationships that a facility may have and identifying if those vendor partners can meet the SLAs for a hospital at home program is all part of uh, growing and scaling a program, both from an IT enablement perspective and to safely serve that patient in the home.
1: Thank you. You you. Uh... In your response, Tina, you reminded me, per the uh, Nijm CMS piece I noted, they discussed, and you're well aware, I'm sure, in it, they discussed tracking and monitoring the escalation rate, uh, which, of course, means to what extent are hospital home patients, uh, for whatever reason, uh, having to uh, be admitted. Um, And, of course, the idea here is that, ideally, you'd want to be able to treat them without having them to have a near-term a hospital admission meaning the hospital at home uh, event was likely not as successful as hoped let's 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 go to um, now drilling down further let's and we'll go back to some of the uh, administrative aspects of this but I did want to get into sooner than later clinical findings or results uh, I noted uh in the intro generalizability here is 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 a Challenging because obviously these patients are are carefully selected for their programs, and so that gets at uh, the selection bias issue. But that aside, there has been favorable clinical outcomes or data uh, from these programs. So uh, either or both, feel free to summarize. Or what do you think are the most important findings? I guess. Uh, this is Yolanda
0: speaking. So one of the um, some of the outcomes, quality outcomes. We've had um, reduced readmissions of patients back to the hospital, also uh, reduced infection of patients being readmitted to the hospital, and one of the key things is delirium. You know, a lot of patients, especially elderly patients, when they come leave their home environment and go into the hospital setting, there's some element of confusion and, and having to readjust to that environment, so delirium has also been decreased and then just patients physically being in their home environment, being able to eat their own food, being able to sleep in their own bed and move around has been less falls as a, as a result of that. Falls is another high incidence that happens in the acute care uh, setting. So those are some key uh, findings, I think, that have resulted. Also, to improved uh, patient satisfaction, patients feeling that they could get the care that they need in their own home setting, and then having all the services that they need to be able to be successful with that. And having the remote patient monitoring and being able to connect to the clinical teams on a daily basis helps them feel secure and and
1: self-managing, you know, those components while they're at home. Thank you. I'm glad you made prominent note of infections, uh, which are always a problem with any hospital admission. This is the iatrogenic harm uh, issue. Per also your point, well taken about fewer uh, falls. Uh, some of the other uh, findings I've noted, there was a uh, Annals piece published uh, on this program uh, that found fewer lab orders, imaging studies. I thought this was interesting. Patients spend smaller proportion of their days sedentary or in obviously lying in bed. And per uh, your comment, readmitted uh, less frequently than 30 days, uh, which is usually the window um,
0: Provided. And also less
1: consultations. Consultations, yes, right. Also, that was another one. Yes. Yes. yes you, you, must, you, yeah. You've memorized that <laughs> that, that, that uh, publication. Yes, David Levine and others, right. Yes. Um, I did mention broadband. Uh, I do want to uh, offer this or ask this rather or offer this for your a response. And these, I'll say two. One is, of course, there's a concern about safe housing. I mean, obviously, you want uh, if the patient's at home and they're ill, to the extent that they otherwise would be in a hospital, uh, they need they need to be in a safe home. And the other, of course, is and it's, it's my question: What's the implicit uh, burden or implication for the family or family caregivers here?
2: Well, I'll start, yeah. David, and then I know Yolanda will will join in. I, I think it's first important to know that you know a hospital at home program is not intended for every patient, and so as a result, there needs to be a very explicit inclusion and exclusion patient criteria outlined based on the condition types and level of acuity of care that that a health system and team want to be able to treat. And so, Yolanda, I would love for you to share some additional details around that. Thank you, Tina. So, once a patient uh, comes into the
0: emergency room, they've gone through that triage process. The hospital sees the patient and sees, oh, yes, this patient is eligible for hospital at home, they will also do conduct an environmental assessment. So there's a series of questions that the patient will be asked in the emergency room to ensure that they will be a candidate. They have to have electricity. They have to have a, a running water. They cannot be homeless. So again, they have to have all the, that capability for the team to physically be able to come on site to provide care. Once that patient is physically transported from the ED to their home Within four hours, either if they have a paramedic service or they have the nurse that will come on site and do and and conduct an environmental assessment. So they have to make certain that the home is safe, especially if you know if this patient is say on oxygen. You have to make certain that there's no people, no no family members smoking within the home. You want to make certain that uh, if the patient is able to where they sleep, they're able to get up and around to prevent the uh, potential falls within the home. So all those safety measures have to be taken into consideration within that first four hours that that patient is home. So environmental, and that and that is documented. All
1: right, that's very helpful. Thank you for that detail. Let me go to, um, so our systems generally, despite APMs, alternative payment models, ACOs, pay-for-value, et cetera, uh, you know, generally still uh, our system's fee-for-service or, Sarcastically noted, fee for volume. Uh, so my question is, what's in your experience? What is the acute provider's motivation here? Be- now, granted, during a pandemic, it made perfect sense because there was a, the, the demand exceeded the supply, plus there was an infection rate problem. Even even ignoring the first comment, um, but relative to this program going forward, the questions beg incentives for c-suite executives relative to having these patients now granted they're getting reimbursed the same um and if they're medical patients versus surgical patients which they are uh there's that there's logic there but the question is beg still what what's been your experience or what's your understanding of how uh, executive management uh views this program relative to the fact that you know the plus is uh maybe lower costs and uh, higher quality, uh, greater patient satisfaction, but these leaves potentially beds unfilled? So this is
0: Yolanda. I'll answer that question. So we look at it from the, from the perspective of patient ratios. So we look at, uh, let me say that again. So we're looking at the inclusion criteria, correct? Right. We're making certain that, that lower acuity patients that will be physically um, transferred to their home setting and now may be a higher acuity level of patients within the hospital setting. So now your nurse-patient, stick. nurse-patient ratio would have to increase because your acuity level of all those patients admitted are sicker. So you're going to need more nurses and more services, more staff to be able to take care of those patients. So that's one aspect. Staffing is, is a key issue. And if you also look at it from the perspective of admission um, avoidance, so many times you have patients that come in, And now if you're looking at from a readmission standpoint, patients, hospitals will now be penalized for patients that are being readmitted. So this is also another way of reducing those readmissions if you're able to capture those patients early on and be able to cycle those patients into hospital at home and you reduce those penalties that hospitals receive from CMS. So I think those are two key areas. Staffing is major, especially in the current state where we have, um, a lot of shortages with staffing. So with this model you're able to utilize uh, nurses from a remote standpoint to still be able to monitor patients as opposed to having them physically within your um acute care setting.
1: You know I I, I great yeah, great, great just quickly great answer, Yolanda, in that I hadn't connected the dots between uh, this program and the readmission penalty. So thank you for that. Go ahead Tina.
2: I was just going to add there are a few other components to You know, unfortunately, so many of our clinicians are facing burnout. So if there is an opportunity to keep them still engaged inside a health system, but to help patients in a new and different way that sometimes transitioning some of our acute care nurses to serve on a more virtual care-based team um, can help that. Um, I think in addition to, even though this conversation today is very focused on the CMS reimbursement criteria, which is huge news, you know, and is just as you mentioned Um, pushed us forward in terms of our maturity across the U.S. for providing care in the home. There's another financial aspect that a lot of health systems are also leveraging this type of care for, and that is to support the upside and downside risk that they may be in, also incurring penalties from, um, to support those patients as well to reduce those penalties uh, and further enhance their performance also.
1: So you're referring to, I'm sure, the uh, Part A hospital uh, payment incentives. For example, there is a payment incentive for avoiding uh, HAIs, hospital acquired infections. There's the readmission, but there are others. Um, so this there's a there's a correlation or there's a benefit potentially to uh, producing or driving better results from uh, those for uh, Part A uh, value based programs. We've talked. Per, per your point, Tim, we talked about the Medicare. Uh, this is Medicare. There there are potentially Medicaid patients who are eligible for this. Um, but I, I did suggest, um, I, or I did note Humana, there are major uh, stakeholders, both on the provider and the payer side. Um, so Mayo, I understand, on the provider side, is uh, uh, interested and in, in, in put some money behind trying to expand their program on the payer side. Humana, and Kaiser. So can you give me a general sense or overview of how this is being uh, forwarded on the commercial side or outside social insurance?
2: Absolutely. We have, I feel like all of the big payers now are really focused on establishing different and unique ways that they can serve their members with a type of hospital at home or care in the home model as well. Um, you know, United Health was, was in the news just in the last three weeks setting an acquisition record of a traditional home health agency. I think it was for $5.5 billion. Yes, it was. I saw that. Um, yes. And that's a- yes, exactly. And you know that's positioning them to allow to compete with Humana, who also has done something very similar uh, to continue providing care in the home for their members. So what we're seeing is this trend of not just our health systems and training and finding ways to scale to participate in this type of care, but our payers are doing the same thing as well. Now, the program focus areas that the payers are focused on are things like behavioral health, palliative care, and those are very different areas than what you heard Yolanda describe earlier in terms of the standard condition types that a lot of health systems choose to pursue for their own hospital-at-home programs, and I think that now is the time to create some unique new partnerships between a health system and the payers that they work with to leverage each of those care models that each organization has established to strengthen what you know we can do together for our patients. And that is something that we encourage and work with our clients to, uh, to create
1: and support. Thank you. Let me, let me just circle back, and then I want to go to legislation or policy reform on this. And that is, uh, we didn't get into this, but I do want to call this out. I would assume that this program, beyond uh, the flip side of the caregiver question, is that is there any data, and this is my own possible curiosity, is there any data relative to hospital home patients do a better job of self-management? Because that is really critical. We have so many patients now who have chronic and are both chronic and comorbid, and their health status largely has to do with self-management. Um. Is there any correlation between this program and the extent to which patients' self-management improves? Uh, this is Yolanda. I don't recall actually seeing that, but however,
0: when you think about the patient who has been selected for the inclusion criteria, those patients may have another comorbidity in addition to what the why why they're admitted. So you could have a patient who has heart failure, although they could also have hypertension. Mm -hmm. So these patients would normally be taking their own medications in addition to any new medications that are prescribed for this acute care episode. So all the same education that happens once that patient's in the hospital setting would be the same type of education that patient receives in their home so that they would be able to self-manage. In addition to that, even with the remote patient monitoring, the patient has to be educated as to when there's a change in their a change in their symptoms or a change in um, side effects. They still need be, they still need to be able to report that. So all that is part and parcel of the self management of that episode and any other comorbidity that that patient may have. Okay. So education is key, also for the family.
1: Yes, absolutely, absolutely. All right, thank you. Let's let's go to uh, policy uh, legislation. So I'm sure you're well aware there's uh, there's a bill, the uh, same bill in both the Senate and the House. Currently, the Hospital Inpatient Services Modernization Act. On the Senate side, it's uh, not that it of Carper from Delaware uh, and others. Um, again, similar legislation are the same in the House. It calls for a two-year extension. So again, the public health emergency presumably concludes at some point, possibly this year, um, fall or winter, um, it would end. However, if legislation would pass, the program would continue. CMS would be authorized then, therefore, to continue the program for whatever the window is, the two years. What's your sense of, of this legislation relative to – and I'm, I'm not going to ask you whether it passes or not. Do you think this is the best way to go, um, just a two-year extension by Congress – CMS, my understanding is they could extend, even after the public health emergency, use their, um, uh, their waiver authority um, to extend this program. So, regulatorily or administratively, this could be done independent of the Congress. Um, what do you think, uh, what would you think would be the most appropriate way to extend this program?
2: David, that's a great question. And we definitely see the importance of it being extended, even if it's just for an initial additional two-year term to allow more data to be collected, Mm -hmm. to show everything that we've been talking about, and to prove the theory that, yes, this actually does make a difference, not only for the health systems, um, but for our payers and patients and families as well. So our belief is that it, you know, it will continue to move forward. There has been such a A large amount of investment over the last two years as more organizations not only recognize the value of this type of care, but are really excited to help, you know, mature and grow the market. And um, there was a very interesting uh, research article that was published from McKinsey about a month ago that predicted about $265 billion dollars worth of care services, we're going to transition into the home by 2025, and we see those same type of trends as well, whether we're focused on supporting, you know, health systems or in the payer market, that is the trajectory that we're on, and so we only see that the regulation will continue to move to support the industry in that as well.
1: Okay, thank you. So uh, this is 1135, blanket waiver authority, specifically the CMS moving it on its own. I will say just to note, and feel free to comment. Centers for Medicare Medicaid Innovation, so CMMI, uh, which under the ACA has demonstration authority, uh, can forward this as a demonstration. Uh, again, uh, the PTAC you probably wear has actually recommended two hospital home models be tested. Uh, this is the uh, uh, Physician Payment Advisory Techn- or pa- Physician Technical Advisory Committee also created under the ACA, so they've made their recommendation in favor of CMMI testing. What's your understanding of, and this, of course, is Liz Fowler, who's the director of CMMI, what's your understanding of the appetite, if any, for this to be another way to go here, obviously, is to and demos that CMMI runs are five years, uh, for CMS to run a demo on this?
2: When I think about the outcomes that we know our health systems are having and serving patients, I think the only concern we have is that we have the regulatory and uh rules in place that allow our teams to continue to innovate and to increase the level of acuity of care and the condition types that we're sending into the homes. Um, because not only our um, programs already currently doing this, but every health system who has embarked on this journey is continuing to invest themselves in it. Um, And so, you know, we're excited for CMS to continue receiving the data from these types of programs so that they are being developed safely and we can continue to create maybe some even new reimbursement models that don't exist today. That is something that is top of mind for all of our payers in the market. They're just as excited about investing and being part of this as well and their willingness to be at the table to work with the health systems they are partnered with to create new reimbursement models. Um, directly uh, is there, so we encourage our health systems with that innovative mindset to not be afraid to approach their payer partners um, and to start working through those details now, because we actually have to think broader than just the CMS criteria that currently exists.
1: No, I appreciate that, but of course, you know the the and it is uh, still true largely. Medicare is the market maker, right? So, um, uh, relative to my question. My last question uh, for you, and uh, my my in my experience, we do not leverage anywhere near the extent that we can or should, and that is the experience from like countries overseas. So, in my intro, I noted that uh, other countries have been doing this for some while. So, relative to your study, what would you say are some takeaways uh, that would be uh, useful um, in in uh, whether it's again commercial or social insurance programs, uh, moving this uh, model forward. What what lessons are useful to be learned from the overseas experiences?
2: Yeah, actually, I'll start with the fact that this is a standard of care uh, globally. It just is starting to become that within the U.S. because we finally had the regulatory, you know, policies in place to put some reimbursement dollars behind it. The data has been there for a long time that has shown that this type of care not only works, um, but it also helps lower the total cost of care. So, um, And that is the data that we're continuing to see for the programs that we are engaged with as well. Yolanda, what else would you like to add to that?
0: I think also, excuse me, I think also, you know, the public health emergency that has um, aroused, you know, with COVID, it, it put hospitals or acute care facilities in the space of looking at alternative ways. Of treating patients, not necessarily in the brick and mortar, but how do we now treat patients in the home? Because we have a lot has moved from the inpatient setting to the community setting. We have uh, remote patient monitoring that really wasn't utilized so much before um, COVID, and now right after COVID hit, a lot of a, a lot of cardiology, a lot of patients did not go to their ambulatory care clinics. These patients were treated remotely in their homes, and patients like that. So I think we have to stay abreast of how uh, technology, uh, digital technology, has enhanced and use these other technologies to be able to support patients in their home. I think there's a larger scope that's used now that was not utilized before.
1: Right. So maybe this is uh, the new normal, or increasingly the new normal, yes. because of uh, what we had to you learn. Had to Correct.
0: And and then when you think about how they were able to scale it so quickly once those surges happened, so you know that it's possible and now you learn from those lessons and how can you really take the data from that and expand on it and scale it even further.
1: Right. I always come back to the uh, phrase well-known, necessity is the mother of invention. So (laughs) with that, with that, thank you both for your time. Uh, this is a fascinating program. Obviously, you're very well studied, so I appreciate your comments on this. We'll see where this goes or how it continues to evolve. And my guess is, relative to the feds, uh, likely sometime in the next uh, six to twelve months, we'll have a better idea of its permanence uh, via HHS. So, thank you again, and best of luck with your related work.
2: Thank you so much, David. We appreciate being here, and you know, appreciate everybody's interest in this topic. It's definitely very relevant
0: these days. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.